Good morning, Hope family. So I started reading through the Gospels with our young adults, and right at the beginning of Matthew, something hit me. Matthew 1, 18 to 19 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, to divorce her quietly. And right then, my mind just started to wander towards Mary and towards this this topic of shame. Here is Mary, probably between the ages of 12 and 14, and she's pregnant despite being a virgin. There is innately going to be shame involved in that scenario, but especially given her time and place in history. The least shameful thing Joseph could think to do was to divorce her, but to do it quietly. We know that's not what happened, but Mary now had to bear the shame of this pregnancy with her for another nine months or so. Some scholars believe that the reason Jesus was born in a manger was not because the hotel was full, but because there was no family member of Mary or Joseph's that was willing to let an unmarried pregnant woman stay with them. So the idea of an inn as we know it didn't really exist yet, and Joseph was returning to his hometown. That's why they had to go to Bethlehem. So surely he would have had family who either was returning with them or who had stayed there to begin with. And yet they couldn't find anyone to take them in. Mary couldn't hide her shame. Fast forward 30-ish years, and now her firstborn son, Jesus, is stripped, mocked, and hung on a tree. And the Old Testament clearly states that anyone hung on a tree is cursed by God. Surely, this would not have been lost on Mary, who, despite all of Jesus' disciples except for John, abandoned him. Mary was still there at the cross as she once again shared in the shame brought onto her by her son. Now, Mary had done nothing wrong in either of these circumstances, but you know that that's not how shame works. Shame doesn't tell the truth. Shame highlights the negative aspects. Surely, Mary, despite not having done anything wrong in these two circumstances, still bore the weight of other people's projections onto her. And that inner voice that questioned the role that she played in all of this. Shame is one of the biggest tools the enemy has at our disposal. Mary couldn't hide her shame. Her pregnant belly was on display for all to see. Her crucified son hung between criminals for all to see. But even when our shame can be hidden from the public eye, the enemy still whispers, you know what you did. You know what they think of you. Through all of this, Mary was still faithful. In the book of Luke, we hear her story about finding out that she's pregnant. And ultimately, her answer is, I am your servant. Do as you please. Let it be as you say. And that was Mary's words at the beginning. And through her actions and her faithfulness to the cross, we know that that's how she lived her life, faithful in spite of the shame. Shame doesn't do that to us. We don't respond as well to shame, I don't think, as Mary does. Shame and guilt, 
they are closely related, but they play different roles in our lives. Guilt is a feeling of regret that is often expressed over a decision, whereas shame is a feeling attributed to one's identity. See, guilt can serve as a conviction by the Spirit, or serve as conviction by the Spirit, to lead to repentance and life change. But shame says there is no hope for change, because this is who you are. Mary was able to see past that and was able to remain faithful to her son and faithful to the call that God had on his life. But so often for us, shame cripples us, that we believe the lies that this is who we are. In Romans 6, Paul isn't specifically addressing shame, but he is addressing the result of shame. Because shame keeps us imprisoned in our sin, because shame convinces us that there's no hope for us to change or to become better. And starting in verse 5 of Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, For if we have been united with him, being Jesus, in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. If your past tells you that you are a sinner, that you are stuck in this old pattern of deceit or lust, or greed, or pride, or whatever the sin pattern might be, you need to hear the words of Paul this morning. You are dead to sin, and you are alive in God. Sin will not have dominion over you. In an attempt at humility, I have said, and I've heard other Christians say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And there's truth in that, but that cannot be your identity, and that is not the gospel. The gospel is you have been crucified with Christ and you have died to sin. You have also been raised with Christ and sin no longer has dominion over you. As Paul later says in the chapter, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You are no longer just a sinner saved by grace. You are now a slave to righteousness, a child of God with the power of the Holy Spirit within you. The power of the Holy Spirit that produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Live today not as a sinner saved by grace, but live today 
as someone who has been set free from sin and is now a slave to God and is producing the fruit of the Spirit. 